and you may be seated this morning. Junior High is going to head upstairs with Marcy. The rest of us, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, you'll find Titus right after First and Second Timothy in the New Testament. Titus chapter 2, we started the book of Titus a couple weeks ago. So Titus chapter 2 is our text this morning. It's good to see you this morning. God bless you. Titus chapter 2. If you need a Bible, Dennis has some in the back. Just raise your hand. He'll slip you a Bible so you can follow along with us in our study as we do a verse-by-verse study here at Calvary Chapel. And we're in chapter 2, and we're going to look at this chapter this morning. Of course, Paul is writing to a young disciple of his, Titus, who is on the island of Crete, pastoring the church at Crete. And we saw that last time in chapter 1 that after Paul gave his greeting to Titus, that he instructed Titus, to set the things in order that are lacking in the church. And Titus, you are to appoint elders in every city on the island of Crete as the church would grow. And in chapter 1, we saw once again that Paul gives us in this pastoral epistle the qualifications for elders, the qualifications for an overseer, a a pastor, a shepherd, a, a bishop, all those terms are interchangeable here in the New Testament. And it was very similar to the qualifications that Paul would give to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And just as Paul did with Timothy, he also does here in this letter to Titus, here's what you are to look for in an overseer, in an elder. And here are the elder's task. And one of the tasks of the elder is that he must be able to teach. He must be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to confront those who have come into the church and have taught that which is false. Those who have come into the church and and they are deceiving and being divisive. It's a familiar theme in all three pastoral epistles that is 1st and 2nd Timothy in the book of Titus as well. And of course, being committed to sound teaching and refuting the false teachers would be a part of keeping the church at Crete healthy spiritually. But as we move into chapter 2 here, we will see that there are other matters that are important and necessary for the church to be healthy spiritually. You see, as Titus is once again, as we open chapter 2, reminded to speak sound doctrine. Titus, this is how you refute those who are false, those who are idle talkers and deceivers that Paul has been talking about in chapter 1 as we ended the chapter last time. And now as we flow into chapter 2... But as for you, speak to things which are proper for sound doctrine. And you would think that at this point, Paul would go on to discuss what sound doctrine is. That he would get into all kinds of theology and things like that. But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, what the apostle does, of course, is he's inspired by the Spirit of God, is give us some real sound understandings of the word that is very practical for us as a church. That are very practical for us as a Christian believer, in order that we might be healthy spiritually. Paul will write about godly behavior concerning different groups of people that you will find in the church. So here's the idea here. In order to have a sound, healthy church, teach sound doctrine, and then as we go through this chapter, certain behavior befits sound doctrine, and other behavior doesn't. So Titus, 
this is sound words that you are to give to different groups of people that they may do well spiritually, as I mentioned. And then as we come together as a body of Christ, that we will, as a church, be healthy and doing well spiritually. So in verse 2, we'll see that Titus is going to address, or Paul to Titus, the older man. In verse 3, we will be looking at the instructions given to older women. In verse 4 and 5, the younger women in verses 6 through 8, the younger men, and then in verses 9 through 10, bond servants. So there should be something for every single one of us that are here this morning. So verse 2 of Titus 2, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. So Titus, as you promote this kind of living that, that reflects right teaching, because we need to always remember, saints, that the Bible doesn't just tell us what it is that we are to believe, but how we are to live. Not just right thinking, but right living as well. So you older men, this is how you are to live, to conduct yourselves. And as I mentioned in chapter 1, the church of Crete may have started as a result of Paul's preaching on the day of Pentecost. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. Because in that chapter of Acts chapter 2 and verse 11, it has listed their men of Crete that were gathered there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And they, some of those men from Crete, and they would hear as Peter would stand up on the day of Pentecost and he would give the gospel message and 3,000 got saved on that day. It would, could have been that some of those men that got saved were from Crete, so they would go back to the island. And at this time that Paul here is writing Titus, there, there were older men who had been believers in the church who had walked with the Lord for a number of years. Now, remember when the scripture here talks about the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, it's not necessarily talking about age chronologically. But what is being spoken of here is maturity. The older men, the more mature men, the older women, the more mature women. Now, usually that would include those who are older chronologically because you don't become mature in your Christian walk overnight. It takes time as you grow in God's word, as you grow in him, as you grow in your love for him. It takes time to mature. And we should always be moving towards that maturity as Christians, shouldn't we? But you may be young in the Lord, and yet you're older chronologically in age. I have known people that they didn't get saved until they were in their 40s or 50s or into their 60s. So as we talk about the older men, the older women, primarily it's talking about maturity spiritually, uh, that those who've been walking with the Lord for a number of years, that have been growing in his love and in the word of God. So Titus Here, as as you promote this, as you talk about this, as you talk to the older men, and as a result of walking with the Lord for a number of years, the older men are to be sober, that is, with vigilant. There is that maturity and wisdom that they walk in that causes them not to be easily distracted or, or with, you know, being tempted by the poles of the world, but rather their minds are on the kingdom of God and on eternity. The older men are to be reverent or easily to respect, or that word literally means serious-minded. They are ones that are not always clowning around and being silly, and they are to be tempered as well, or that is self-control. So these marks of maturity are to be complemented by three marks of godliness, being sound, or that is being solid, being stable, in faith, in love, and in patience. You who are older men, 
I really want to emphasize the love and the patience that we are to show to others, and particularly the younger generation. Because sometimes I see the more mature men, the more older men that have been walking with the Lord, they can be impatient with the younger generation, and we need to be patient with them. When we disciple those who are young in the Lord, who are excited about the Lord, it can be very easy for us who are older to really discourage them, to put them down, or you know, to, to come against them, or whatever it might be. And we don't want to do that. We want to encourage them and be patient with them. And there are a number of older men that are here, more mature men in the Lord. You've been here. You've been growing. And you have so much to offer in this fellowship and to others that are linked to you in your lives, to the younger generation that are here, and how we need to minister to them, how we need to be patient with them. You have so much to offer in your wisdom and in your knowledge, but hopefully, most of all, in your love that you show to them. I have a heavy heart for those who are young and for the young people because you come into this place, and we talked about this on Wednesday night, and you come into here just as I come into this place very concerned on what we see is going on with our younger generation. We see the, the young people that are dying, that are making bad choices, and we are concerned. And we want to be able to minister to them, those who are hurting, those who need us to come alongside and give them light and love and the truth of God's word. So that's a ministry that must be taking place here. Young, uh, the younger men must be receiving and must be hearing from the older men. And I pray that that ministry takes place here because how we need to make sure that we are loving them and, and caring about them and praying for them. In verse 3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. It's interesting that the word here for slander or gossip in the Greek literally means devils. So for any of us who may have a tendency to gossip, and we know what gossip is, those who have a tendency perhaps to slander, I've just got to pass on that juicy piece of information about this individual to make them look bad, to put them down that perhaps all look good. That individual that is just looking for an ear that will be given to them so they can gossip and slander. We need to remember that that's the devil's work. Gossiping and slandering, we know from the scriptures, very clear, is told to us as sin. And even listening to it and, part, you know, and, and giving an ear to it because you're participating in that and encouraging it. And I'll tell you one sure way that you as an individual can stop gossiping and slandering, and you know what that is, is when somebody comes along and says, oh, you know so-and-so, you know, have you heard what's going on? And you're hearing things secondhand and thirdhand, or this person is out to get somebody, and they just want to slander them and put them down all the time. One sure way that you can get rid of that as an individual is when somebody does that, say, listen, I don't want to listen to that. And the scripture says that it's sin, that you gossip and you slander, and it's sin for me to listen to it, so don't cause me to sin. And I guarantee you, they will not come to you again. They will not come to you looking for an ear to, to fill with a bunch of gossip and slander because they'll go somewhere else, or hopefully they'll repent. 
And we need to be ones that stand up to gossiping and slandering because all of us, we know the damage that it does in a family, the damage that it can do at the workplace, the damage that it can do in a neighborhood and in the church. So don't get involved with it. And the scripture has a whole lot to say about it. And as you read the book of Proverbs as well. So we are to stay away from it. Older women also be reverent in behavior and be teachers of good things and teach the younger women, especially in the area of being got a godly wife and mother and, verse 5, to be discreet, chase homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So the younger women, wives, moms, you see here what is important to God. Loving your husband, loving your kids, to live wisely, to be pure, to do good, to take care of the home. This should have a priority with you. And I think that this is important for us to remember because society can come along and particularly to women and say, you know what, you should have a career. You should be doing all these things. And why are you staying at home? And if a woman chooses to stay at home because she has made a priority that I want to raise the kids or I want to take care of the home, then they need to remember that that honors the Lord in that. And that blesses the Lord. And so don't let society come along and say, hey, you know what, you're less than what you should be because you're not going out and, and seeking these other things that we need to remember what the scripture says. But on the other side of the coin, I want to say this. For you ladies who do work, that you need to work, or that you do have a job, or you do have you know, somewhere that you go to during the week, the workplace or a career or whatever it may be, that the scripture is not condemning you either. That as you come home, I know some of you that work very hard at what you do, and you come home and you work very hard at taking care of the home and the kids and making sure the house is in order. God bless you as well. I think that we need to remember that when we let outside things, jobs or careers or whatever it might be, have priority over the family, over the kids, and, and that's where we can get in, into trouble. That's not just with wives and with women, but with dads and fathers and men. Guys, don't get the picture here that, yeah, wife, you take care of everything at home, and I'll just come home and neglect the kids and never help around the house. That's not what the scripture is teaching us at all. Rather, we all have responsibilities in the home and with our families. And if we heed what God's word has to say in our homes and families, they will be healthy and they will be strong. And there will be peace in our homes and our families will be healthy as well. You know, society says so much differently than what the emphasis is in the scripture. Society will come along and say you need to pursue these things and, and, and pursue material things, possessions. And as you do that or, or self-fulfillment or all these other things. And as you do, you're going to be happy and things are going to be good. Not necessarily so. We see that. Nothing should be more important in this world than our families except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing should be, have a priority over our children, over our spouses, over our homes. And so as we keep that a priority, and however the Lord has you manage your home, and as you provide for your homes and stuff, God is going to bless you in that. Well, here's the thing, folks. I've done a couple funerals this summer. And at those funerals, 
The things that are not talked about is how high in the company my dad made it. The things that are not talked about is, you know, the things that my mom or my dad bought me. Those things aren't discussed. But I'll tell you what is discussed and what is talked about by the families of who have lost a loved one, a mom or a dad. What they will say is, my mom, my dad, he loved us. He took care of us. She took care of us. And they talk about how much of a blessing they were to them in raising them up and teaching them. And, and you will hear testimonies of, my dad talked to me about God. And he showed us scripture. It's not the things that he bought me or how important he was in the company or whatever it might be or even in the community. But this is my dad who raised me up and, and who loved us. And I'm going to miss him. So those are the things that are talked about. So as you keep your husband, your wife, your children a priority, you will honor the Lord as you do that. In verse 6, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. So in verse 6, when Paul uses that word likewise, it's kind of a linking word here. It's telling us that the young men, need what they need to learn isn't all that different than what else is being talked about here in this chapter. Of course, we see that there are different emphasis depending on our station in life, but the essential message is godliness. Exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Behave carefully. And then Titus, you being a young man, you being an example to the others in the way that you live, and being a good pattern of, of good works in all things, you be more than a teacher, you being an example. And, of course, Paul would emphasize that to Timothy, wouldn't he? As Paul would say to Timothy, Timothy, you being an example to the believers in word and conduct and faith and love and purity, you be that example. And if you desire to disciple others, to be a blessing to others, to teach others, then you must be an example in how you live. And that's one of the prayers that I have. Lord, help me as I and behind the pulpit, that I'm the same man behind the pulpit as I am out of the pulpit. I want to be an example to you of a godly man and to my family and to my children. And any of you who desire to, to have somebody disciple you, have somebody that perhaps is a mentor to you, you need to not only hear what they say, but how it is that they live. And I mention that because I sometimes see guys that will follow after somebody because they're so dynamic. Or they'll learn from somebody who's, you know, speaks so, so wonderfully and, and is, you know, got a great personality or whatever. But you need to also consider their faith and how they live. And the scripture says, consider the faith of those that you follow. Make sure that they're living godly. That they are being that example of what it is that they are teaching. It's so important that we do that. One early church leader said this, be a witness at all times. And if necessary, use words. So Titus, being an example in how you live. And when you teach doctor, do it with integrity, reverence, and corruptibility. The two are connected. You see, Titus could not teach with integrity and seriousness if he wasn't living what he was teaching. He couldn't teach with doctrinal stability if he truly didn't take heed to what God's word says about godly living. And Titus, you are to use, verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. In other words, don't give people ammunition to come against you. 
You are to live and speak in such a way that those who are eager to put you down will find nothing to hold against you. Now, it doesn't mean that people won't come against you if you're living godly. Certainly they will. They did with Jesus. They did with Paul the Apostle. They did with Timothy, and they did with Titus, and they will with you as you live godly in Christ Jesus. But don't give them ammunition for them to, to say, you know what? I'm coming against you because you're not living godly, because you're being a hypocrite, because what comes out of your mouth is corrupt. But we are to live godly. We are to speak sound and edifying words to others, and it isn't going to prevent those coming against you. They will come against you, but they can't point at you and accuse you of any evil that you are doing that is contrary to what God's word has to say. But they'll come against you because they just don't like you because you're a Christian. And we've talked about how Paul had been talking to Timothy, all who live in godliness in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will be the one that is going to be on the receiving end of those who do not like Christians. But don't give them ammunition to look at you and say, you know what, you're not living godly. You're not living for the Lord. You talk about being a Christian, but you don't live that way. And then Paul gives instructions finally here to bond servants, verse 9. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So here Paul addresses bond servants. He did the same thing in 1 Timothy. He did it also in Ephesians and in Colossians. Why does Paul address bond servants so often in his letters? in the New Testament. I think that he does because I believe Paul really had a heart for bond servants and that their daily lives honored Christ. And we can make application this morning by replacing the word bond servant with employee and replacing the word master with employer or boss or supervisor. So if you are an employee, if you're working for someone, you are to be obedient. That is your godly obligation. Paul told the Colossian believers in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. Well, I don't agree with their policies. Uh, I don't like the way that they do things. Unless it is immoral or illegal, you are to obey your boss. So we are to look at scripture in Titus 2 in employees. You are to be subject to your boss and everything. Secondly, as Titus is indicating to us, you are to try to please them in all things. You do it in sincerity of heart, not with eye service. You don't go around telling others how stupid you think the boss is. Or if I was the boss, this is how I would do it, and it would be so much better. You don't do that. Thirdly, you're not to talk back to them. And then fourthly, don't steal from your boss. You see, bond servants back in Paul's day, they didn't receive wages. And so they would have more of a, of a tendency or be tempted more to steal from their masters. And to be able to do that would be fairly easy for bond servants because oftentimes the master would leave their possessions in the management of their servants. And you may be thinking, well... I've never stole from my boss. You know, I didn't steal his laptop or anything like that. 
But the scripture is talking more about stealing your boss's computer. But are you stealing time from him? Are you loafing at times when you should be working? You have the 15-minute break, and the 15-minute break turns into 30 minutes or 35 minutes or 45 minutes. You have time that is slowed down in the afternoon, so instead of doing those little projects that you should be doing, I'm going to play an hour or so of solitaire on the computer. Very easy to steal time from our employer, from our boss. And listen, I know that some of you here this morning, that you work for some pretty tough bosses. I understand that, that you work in some pretty stressful places, and, and, and maybe there are those around you and your boss that leave, uh, lead immoral lives, but when on the job they tell you to do something, you do it. And you work as hard as you can at the job because it honors the Lord. And you do it as unto the Lord. And I really believe that Christians should be the hardest workers that are at the workplace. I really believe that. And it really saddens me when I hear of somebody who owns a business or somebody who supervises who says, you know what, I got this Christian and they're lazy and they talk back and, and all these other things. They ought not to be. And then lastly, fifthly, here in Titus 2, you are to show your boss that you can be fully trusted. You show honesty in the workplace. And so in God's word, we see that godly living is required for the Christian. And now we're going to see Paul telling us of the role of grace in promoting godly behavior. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age. You see, the grace of God brings salvation. Salvation is not something that you earn. It's not something that you go out and get. But we receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And the message of God's grace, when its full implication is understood, leads you and I as Christians to say no to ungodliness and worldly lust. And apparently the grace of God was an abuse doctrine in Crete. Some saying, well, we're under grace. We're not under the law, so that means that we can go out and live any way that we want. And of course, un, you know, there are some Christians that will mistakenly have that kind of mindset as well, even today. Well, God loves me the way that I am, and so I'm just going to go out and do whatever it is that I want to do. I'll live the way that I want to live, and there's really no desire to live godly. Yes, the Lord loves you the way that you are. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And as we live under grace, it's not a license to go out and live the way that we want. Paul would write in Romans chapter 6, should we continue in sin that grace should abound? He said, no. Why do we want to continue in sin as Christians when we are dead to sin? We're no longer living in it. Living in the grace of God means that because you are saved and you're a new creature in Christ, all the old stuff is dead. The old hangouts, the old sinful ways, the old man, the old woman is crucified. And it's dead and we are to bury it. The old stuff is dead and now we live in the newness of life. And we're free not only from the penalty of sin, but we are free from the bondage of sin. And we live in grace, and we live in his kindness, and we live in his love. And what that does is it enables us to live godly lives. See, it isn't having the attitude of, oh, Lord, 
what can I do to get away with? The mindset of how close to sin can I get to fulfill my flesh or whatever it might be. That ought not to be our minds, but our minds ought to be, Lord, I'm a new creature in Christ. I walk in the newness of life. You've saved me. You dwell in me, and I want to please you with my life, honor you with my life. So this thing that, that I'm thinking about doing or getting involved in, is it going to honor you? Is it going to please you? Or is it going to cause me to be carnal? Is it going to cause me to sin? Is it going to cause others to stumble? And if it does, I don't want to be involved in it. That needs to be our heart and our mindset. So grace puts ungodliness and worldly lusts in our past. We don't live that way anymore. And grace teaches us how we are to live in the present. And that is, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. And then grace teaches us how we are to look for the future. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you a great incentive for godly living. And that is knowing and looking for the blessed hope, the return of our Lord. If you really believe that the Lord can come for us at any time that is coming as soon, the blessed hope that is the rapture of the church that Paul speaks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, living in that expectation, it's going to affect the way that you live. John would write in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3, that when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if you're looking for the Lord's return, if you really believe that maybe today the Lord can come back, maybe the Lord will come back today for his church, you're not going to go out and live a sinful lifestyle. You're not going to leave this place here today and desire to go hang out at the bars or whatever it might be. You're going to live in godliness. And each and every day that, that we wake up and say, Lord, could it be today that you're going to come back for me? Or today you're going to take the church as you live in the expect expectancy of the soon return of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, the Lord's coming back soon, I believe. Do you realize that the Lord is going to come back soon? I believe that with all of my heart. And as Wednesday nights, this Wednesday, as we go through Jeremiah, we're going to talk a little bit about that and some of the signs that surround the second coming of Jesus Christ, why I believe that we are in the last days, why I believe that the coming of the Lord is very soon. And we're going to look at one particular sign, a super sign that has already come to pass that shows us that we are in the last days. And there are other things that are going on that we see are going to play an important role in the last days that surround the events surrounding the second coming of Jesus Christ. This war on terrorism, I believe, has a bigger implication than we may think and is going to play a role in the last days here. You see, the war on terrorism is more than, and I know that most of us know this, more than just a geopolitical, religious, it's, it's totally spiritual. What those rebels did to those children in, in Russia w was nothing less than demonic. And it's interesting, as you hear the reports that are coming out, not everything is being told to us, and little bits and pieces are coming out, but some of those rebels, those terrorists, that took those kids hostage, and the way that they treated them, and the things that they did, 
and shooting those children in the back. We know that many of them, if not most of them or all of them, were Islamic extremists. Some of them were Arabs that had ties to Al-Qaeda. And the school that they took over, that was a Christian community. Many of those kids were Christians and many of those families. And the devastation. I think most of us were around when Columbine happened. And 13 were dead. And you remember the, the feeling that you had that day of Columbine and the tragedy and how it affected the world. September 11th, of course, we look back on that horrible day when evil came upon our land. And 3,000 died that day. And the devastation, and, and, you know, we go over time and sometimes we forget that. One of the privileges that I had was to stand in the rubble of Ground Zero a few weeks after it happened as I was a chaplain down there, and it impacted my life. And you could really understand as it was still burning what had happened. And you see, it's going to continue. And it's going to continue up to a certain point, I believe, that Scripture tells us about it. And so if you come on Wednesday, we'll talk more about it. The Lord's coming, folks. The Lord is coming very soon, where he's going to make things right. And righteousness is going to cover the earth as waters cover the sea, the scripture says in Isaiah. And so I pray that each and every day, as we get one day closer to where the Lord is going to come for us, and he may come for us individually because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. We read in the paper how life is so fragile. And we see young people, their lives being taken away. Car accidents or other accidents that may happen. The Lord is going to come for his church, I believe, at any moment. And I hope and pray that you and I, that we would be ones that would be living in the expectancy of the soon return of our Lord, that each and every day that the Lord gives to us, that we would be living godly in Christ Jesus. Because he's going to come and rule and reign. And guess what? We get to rule and reign with him. In verse 14, Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself for us. He voluntarily went to the cross for you. For you. Personally, individually. He went because of his love for you. And if you ever doubt the love of God, look to the cross. He gave himself for you, he died for you, that you might be redeemed. Purchase us back to himself. Purchase us out of slavery is what that word means. Out of the penalty of sin and, and the slavery of sin they can have on our lives. And Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus said that I am the man in Matthew chapter 13. As he said, there was a man that found a field that had a treasure in it, and the man went and sold everything that he had to buy the field to take the treasure out. Jesus is that man who gave himself for us that he can purchase the world back to himself, the world that was handed over to Satan when Adam sinned in the garden. 
to redeem the world back to himself so he can have another planet? Uh Uh-uh. He did it so he can take the treasure out. You are the treasure. You are special to him and never forget that. You are so precious and so special to the Lord that he looked down through all eternity and he saw you. And he said, I'm going to go to the cross of Calvary and die for that person, for you personally. He gave himself to you and for you. So give yourself to him. All right? And I pray that this morning that we would go out of this place being reminded once again that as we live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to be blessed and healthy. And you see, again, go out of this place and be light to others. That they see the reality of Jesus Christ in you because people need that today. A lot of hurting people out there. A lot of confused people. A lot of people over having anxiety. They wonder if there's any hope. And, and, you know, right now we see that there's people full of anxiety as a killer hurricane is headed their way. They wonder when the next terrorist strike is going to happen. They wonder, is there any hope for my family, my kids. Is there any hope in the situation that I'm in? And as you go out, I pray that you would be one that they would look to and they would see the reality of Jesus Christ as Christ dwells in us and then you can be light and give them truth and you can minister and bless them and give them words of comfort and truth to them. So live godly. And allow the Lord to use you in your life. And as you do, as we come together, we're going to be healthy spiritually as these things are taking place, as we're ministering to one another, that the older women are counseling the younger women and encouraging them. And guys, those of us who've been walking with the Lord, we have a lot to offer the younger people. Love them, encourage them, speak to them while they're here. Let them know that you're thankful that they're here and and do everything that you can to help people because the Lord's coming back. And I get excited thinking about that, but I also grieve when I see the things that are going on as well. And the Lord's eyes go to and fro across the whole earth looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are towards him. He wants to use you. And he wants to use me and he wants to use this fellowship as we just continue to live godly in Christ Jesus. So, Father, that's what our desire is. Wherever you have us planted, in the workplace, at home, in the schools, in our neighborhoods, that we would truly be light. Father, as Christians are headed to that that small town there in Russia that has gone through something so monumental that we can't even comprehend. the Christians that go there and bring relief in the ministry of their presence and comfort. Lord, that you would use them. And the families and the loved ones and the friends of those who lost so many in that tragic 
terrorist attack last week, Lord, I pray that you would show yourself strong on their behalf. As yesterday we marked a three-year anniversary of our own country being attacked, Lord, I pray that you would continue to be with the families of those who lost loved ones, who perhaps had those who were injured. Pray you be with those who are still recovering from their injuries. Father, I pray that you would be with our leaders, that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the challenges that lie ahead. Lord, that you would be with our law enforcement officers, firefighters, and paramedics, not only in our own county, but across the state and across this nation. Father, I pray that we would truly be one nation that would be under one God, and that we would turn to you and realize our need for you at this time. Father, I pray for us in this room that we would go out and make a difference in people's lives. That our mindset wouldn't be just focus on self, but it would be die to self. And we would be about the king's business. And we would be keeping our eyes on eternity, being sober and vigilant, that the fruit of the Spirit may be evident in our lives in the reality of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those who are hurting this morning, who need a touch from you physically, that you would do that right now, that perhaps need a touch from you emotionally, spiritually, that you would minister to them. Lord, we would know that you want the very best for us in our lives. So if there's anything that perhaps that we been doing that doesn't please you or honor you that needs to go in our lives that right now we would turn to you we would give it to you we would turn away from that thing that doesn't please you and lord we thank you for your grace that unmerited favor your forgiveness and your love father thank you for putting this church family together and so lord may we go out of this place rejoicing in you And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.